You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Night terrors. You may have heard about them, but quite possibly you don't really know what they are. Children can be notoriously bad sleepers, and parents can often be at a loss as to why they're waking up at night. Night terrors, however, are a very specific experience that Sarah Blunden, a paediatric sleep specialist with the Sleep Health Foundation, is here to explain. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi there. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, How can you tell that your child is experiencing a night terror? Okay. So as you mentioned in your introduction, children wake up a lot overnight. In fact, we all wake up a lot overnight given that we have sleep cycles of about 90 minutes. At the end of each sleep cycle, we will wake up. The interesting thing about night terrors is that um, when we wake up, we're actually not really awake. Now, let me explain further. Night terrors are part of a phenomenon called confusional arousals or sometimes non-REM parasomnias, and they happen in parts parts of sleep which are very, very deep. They are on a spectrum of severity ranging from the smallest and lowest severity of maybe mumbling in your sleep or laughing in your sleep up to talking in your sleep, sitting up in your bed if, you want, if you're mobile, walking around, running around, and then at the extreme other end is a night terror. So they're all the same thing. What we know about night terrors um, are that they are phenomenons where our body is able to do amazing motor things, sometimes talk, sometimes walk, sometimes do even more than that, but we're actually not understanding the input from the exterior. So we might look like we're awake if we're sleepwalking, for example, or having a night terror, but we're actually not awake in terms of our brain waves. So how does a parent know when a child is having a night terror is one of the questions that you asked me. Yes. To tell whether a child is having a night terror, the really the best thing to do is to go to them, make sure that they're okay and safe, and do nothing. Right. Now, why would you do that? If a child wakes up at night time and they are awake, maybe after a dream or maybe they've just woken up and gone to the toilet and can't get back to sleep, if they are awake, they will let you know that you're awake. They'll talk to you by name. They'll respond to your conversation. They'll look at you. They'll put their arms up. They'll do some sort of communication to indicate to you that they can see you and they want you to do something or say something. Now, in a night terror situation or a sleepwalk or something less severe than a night terror, the child will not respond to the parent in as, in as easy a way. They might respond to their name but it it won't look like it's actually a conversation and so parents can tell whether their child is awake or not awake by doing that simple little test. And what does a night terror look like? How does it manifest? Night terrors can manifest in a whole range of ways. They can be walking around the house uh, looking agitated. The child is usually looking agitated or frightened. The face is, is often um, looking scared. The eyes are often dazed. The body can be shaking. It can be running. It can be uh, twitching. Um, they can run. They can do amazing things. They look like they're being chased by something or someone. Can they and scream? I've heard they of... They can scream. They can scream loudly. They can uh, talk. They can scream. They can talk in really weird voices. 
um, it, and make really weird sounds. This uh, can be very frightening for a parent if they don't know what they're looking at, um, but um, a simple way to kind of answer the question, is this child, something really wrong with this child and they're awake and they need my help, or are they having a night terror? And that little experiment can help you understand that. Is there a specific age when they are more likely to happen? Night terrors only occur in non-REM. That is a part of sleep which we call the deep sleep. It's the opposite to REM or REM sleep, which is when we dream. So dreaming is at one end of the sleep cycle and non-REM is the other end of the sleep cycle. That's when night terrors occur. Now, non-REM is more prevalent in children between the ages of two and four than any other time in their lives. So if they are prone and predisposed to having night terrors, then that's when they're going to happen. Do we actually know what causes them? Yes, there are about four major contributors to non-REM parasomnias, including night terrors. The first one is genetic predisposition. That means that somebody in the bloodline of the child will have suffered from or had night terrors or even sleepwalking or sleep talking. They are the same phenomena, if you like, and someone in the, in the bloodline will have that. And that's pretty common. And it's also not a problem, but it's very common. The second contributing factor is that the child is in sleep loss. They're not getting the sleep that they need. This could be last night or it could be over a series of nights. That's because when children and adults, but when children don't get enough sleep, they will do extra, extra, extra deep sleep the next time they get a chance to sleep. And because these um, non-REM parasomnias happen during deep sleep, that's when they're more likely to occur because the deep sleep is much deeper and more intense when we are sleep deprived. So that's the second one. The third one is stress. Now that can be psychological stress or it can be physiological stress. So what would physiologically stress a child? That would probably be pain, maybe teething, maybe a sore leg, maybe um, a fever. Um, it could be a full bladder or a full bowel. It could be eczema. It could be a whole range of things. Psychological stress is probably something like they were stressed when they went to bed, they might have um, some stress in their lives, they might be having a situation in their lives that's not helpful, that their brain is, is um, working things out, if you like, during their sleep. So the psychological stress or physiological stress will increase the severity and the frequency of these night terrors. I've heard people say that you can prevent a night terror if you um, wake a child up at a certain <coughs> point of the night. Is that something that is true? That's, <laughs> or that's, is it... that's correct, yes. Um, because night terrors occur in non-REM sleep, the time that non-REM sleep occurs in our sleep cycle is the first three hours of sleep. So if you go to sleep, let's just say 9 o'clock, between 9 o'clock and about 12 o'clock, and I say about is pretty close to that, there will be the deep sleep part of our sleep. After that, deep sleep doesn't occur very much anymore. We have much lighter sleep as the morning wears on. So the deep sleep happens in those first three hours. Now, if, the, if we are lucky enough to have a child that has their night terrors on a regular basis, let's just say every night, about two hours into their sleep period, then we can find out what time the child fell asleep and we can calculate at what time of that three-hour block that first night terror 
or second night terror might occur. As I said, if they're regular, what you do is you wake the child up about a quarter of an hour before the scheduled time of the oncoming night terror and the night terror won't occur at that point. But of course, the difficulty there is a night terror has to be regular and it has to be around the same time mm. for that to work. But it does work and that's because it disrupts the cycling of the, of the night terror into that deep sleep, light sleep cycle. You mentioned before that a way of telling whether your child has a night terror is to sort of stop and observe them and that what's happening for them is that they're not actually awake. You've also said how disturbing it can be as a parent to see your child being that distressed and upset. How do we respond in the moment? Like if we're looking at them thinking, how can I help? You know, if they would just had a nightmare, you could give them a cuddle. Yes. Does that work in this situation? It often doesn't work in this situation. That's because in a night terror situation, <clears throat> the child is not receiving the input from the environment. So they're not feeling the cuddle. They're not feeling the love, if you like. So it's not helping them. And in most cases, night terrors won't be stopped by somebody giving them a cuddle or trying to help them. Now, uh, what a child would often do when someone goes to comfort them is that they'll um, they'll push back or they'll scream louder or they'll um, they'll get more agitated if they get to try to get comforted, and that's a true indication that this is actually a night terror and not they're not awake. Does that make sense? Mm. So if a parent sees this terrible thing that this child is doing and it can be very scary and they go to their child as they would automatically and they try and comfort them and the child will push them away or cry more, the parent will go, well, that's wrong. that's strange, what's going on there? If that happens, then they might think to themselves, hopefully after this interview, might think to themselves, oh, maybe they're not awake. I'm just going to step back and see if they're okay and see what happens then. And then you can make your judgment. It's a hard thing to do to watch your child cry in distress, but the only way that I've, um, in my experience, is that parents go to the child, it doesn't work, and then they realise, oh, the child's not awake, and they can't do anything, which is very distressing, I guess. Does it have any lasting effects? Like, is there any problem for a child? Does any Are there any other outcomes for a child who might have a night terror or might no. be getting night terrors? No, night terrors are completely benign. They are very developmentally appropriate. They're very common. They don't have any um, long-term or short-term consequences if that's what they are. There are other things that they can resemble a night terror, but in a night terror, they're very, very, very benign. They might go on after the age of about five, six, seven, which is less, less common, but they're, yeah, they're, they're benign. So does that mean that um, your child will most likely grow out of night terrors? That's correct. Most children grow out of night terrors because that deep sleep block becomes less deep um, as we get older. Sleep becomes lighter as we get older and so we have less occasion to do them. Well, there is so much in that, Sarah. Thank you so much for explaining night terrors to us. That's my pleasure. That's Professor Sarah Blunden. She's a paediatric sleep specialist from the Sleep Health Foundation. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced by Debbie Ning and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. We'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email us at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.